0: Commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911.
1: Lord, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Psalm 69, verse 2. This is Jesus 911. Two man car, Jess Romero, Eddie Chavez, two retired LA cops. We are here rocking the airways for Jesus Christ, faithful sons of the church and in love with the Blessed Virgin Mary and devoted to her queenship. Eddie, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Jess. Reporting for duty, sir. All right. Hey, we got a a special guest on. We got uh, Stephen Arms. Him and his father, they wrote a book. It's called Milestone to Manhood. It's the rite of passage from 13-year-old to manhood. And this book talks about making the leap from boyhood to manhood. Which is the most important transition that your son will make? Uh, I think uh, Eddie, you and me grew up back in the '70s and '80s in Southern California, where the rite of passage was getting jumped into a gang and getting beat up over at Las Palmas Park. Uh, That's so it. I, yeah. So I think uh, Stephen has done a great service to the Catholic Church by writing a book, so so kids don't have to run between uh, you know two sets of gang members and get beat up to show that you're a tough boy. You're you're a man now. Hey, Stephen, welcome to, G- to Jesus 911, my friend. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I like the name of the book. Uh, it's uh, it says it all: milestone to manhood, rite of passage from thirteen year old to manhood. By the way, th- there's a, there's a website to get a hold of this book. It's called MilestoneToManhood.com. MilestoneToManhood.com. Milestone to manhood I encourage families. This is a book that every young father needs to get, and even grandfathers get this book and start teaching it to your to your, uh, to, your to your to your young men, young to your young men. Hey, Steven, got a couple of questions. So uh, what is a rite of passage? Give us a good definition because Eddie and myself saw rites of passage, but we don't think that our definitions are very good.
2: Sure. So at its most basic level, a rite of passage is an event in a boy's life that he can look back on and know that was the moment that I became a man. And when we look at cultures from around the world, we see other examples of coming-of-age ceremonies around the age of 13. The most famous is probably the Jewish bar mitzvah. That's the ritual of the Jewish faith yeah. where a boy becomes a man. Another example is in Australian aboriginal culture, they have what's called a walkabout. And in a walkabout, the tribe sends out their 13-year-old boys into the wilderness for three to six months at a time. And when they come back from that test, they're no longer considered a boy, but they're considered to be a man. Unfortunately, in modern Western culture, we don't really have an equivalent coming of age ceremony like a bar mitzvah or a walkabout. And that's what we outline here in Milestone to Manhood is a modern coming of age ceremony for a Catholic, for a Christian family.
1: Wow, that's uh, that's deep stuff I, I never really thought about it. Eddie, got any comments or questions for uh, for a for friend here?
3: Yeah, hi, Stephen. Listen, I, I wanted to ask you just really quickly. Uh, you mentioned uh, on, on the stuff that you wrote about the book that the major themes were virtuous manhood, the importance of family, and the importance of faith. So those two different uh, uh, methods, the cultures uh, that have a rite of passage, do those include uh, what you mentioned there, the manhood, the importance of the family, and the faith? So the, the rites of passage, the, the bar mitzvah,
2: in the walkabout, those are culturally appropriate for those cultures, right? A tribal society sending their boys out to the wilderness to survive on on their own, that makes total sense when you live in a tribal society, but that doesn't necessarily make sense for a boy growing up in 2023 in the United States, right? Sending him off into the wilderness, as cool as that might sound, he doesn't really necessarily, he wouldn't learn what it means to be a man or what it means to be a good man. So the rite of passage that we outline is it's meant to help a boy growing up today to learn what it means to be a virtuous man. And the way that we do that is by getting other men involved on the trip. So it's not just the boy's dad that holds this rite of passage weekend, but it's four or five or six of all the most important male role models in a boy's life. And they're... For one, they're going to give him advice on what it means to be a good, virtuous, godly man. But two, at the end of the weekend, they're going to tell the boy, in our eyes, we no longer see you as a boy, but we consider you to be a man just like us now. So in doing that, they're really affirming a boy's identity as a man so that he doesn't have to question it, right? It's one thing, very few of us ever heard from our dads, I consider you to be a man now. That would be an incredible blessing if you heard, you are incredibly blessed if you heard that from your dad. Imagine if you heard that from five or six of the closest men that you idolized as role models growing up. That's what we outline in the book is having five or six men tell a boy he's a, he's a man, he's considered to be a man in the family now. So it's reinforced.
3: Very good. I like that.
2: Yeah. Stephen. So
1: how did the rite of passage tradition get started in your family?
3: So
2: the Rite of Passage tradition really got started when my older brother was turning 13. Um, I think my dad was a little bit nervous about having a teenager and hearing stories about all the crazy things that teenage boys do. Um, And so he went to my grandfather and asked him, you know, my son is turning 13. I want to do something special to mark his entrance into manhood. And it was really my grandfather and my dad who came up with this rite of passage tradition together. They they looked at the Jewish bar mitzvah, um, some things that made sense about it, you know, reading scripture. And they incorporated it into the weekend and they came up with our family's rite of passage tradition. And really now, now that our whole family has gone through it, my brothers and I are, are all grown men with families of our own. Now we just want to share it with the rest of the world, right? This tradition has been an incredible blessing for our family, and now we want other families to benefit from it too. Eddie, you got a question?
3: Yeah, Stephen, I wanted to ask you, um, why the age of 13? Did you consider the uh, current uh, uh, condition in, in 23 USA to, to come to that uh, age? Or what, was, what, what did you put into getting to the age 13? I think the age of 13 is the ideal age for one because it's a milestone
2: birthday right the boy's becoming a teenager so automatically in his mind that's a significant birthday to him um 13 is also kind of a sweet spot where a boy is able to understand some of the the advice that's given to him by the men right he's he's grown up enough to understand the significance of what's happening but he's not so young, so old that he's jaded or dismissive of what his elders have to say right by the time a boy gets 16 17 years old he pretty much thinks he knows everything right and he doesn't really want to hear advice from other men so 13 is kind of that sweet spot and we do get some people saying hey you know 13 is that's kind of a young age to tell a boy he's a man right that's a little bit early but what i argue is that it's better to initiate a boy into manhood too early rather than too late right By the time a boy is 18 or 21 years old, he's probably made some pretty important life decisions. And it's better to have this rite of passage, coming of age ceremony a little bit on the earlier side rather than after he's made decisions like who to date, who to marry, what to study, where to go to college, those types of decisions. So better to do it too early rather than too late.
1: Hey, Stephen, today's the feast day of uh, St. Augustine. If St. Augustine would have had your book and your dad's book, uh, you know, uh, when he was around, he wouldn't have made those mistakes. And (laughs) he would have found his vocation a lot sooner than the age of 33. But uh, but you would know this because through experience, what are the benefits of holding a rite of passage? I mean, what did this
2: do for you? So the benefits of holding a rite of passage is that boys don't have to prove their manhood to themselves. In the absence of a rite of passage, as you referred to earlier, boys are going to do things like get fights, uh, get in fights with one another, right? When boys are fighting, they're essentially trying to prove their manhood to themselves and to their peers, right? I'm more of a man than you. I'm more macho than you, right? I can physically dominate you. Another way that boys will try to prove their manhood is through the sexual conquest of women. You hear guys say things like, she made a man out of me. That's them trying to prove their manhood through the sexual conquest of women. Um, Another big one today, I would say, is video game addictions. Uh, In a video game, you can create a character, go out and slay a dragon or kill a terrorist. That totally plays into the male ego of being a a warrior, right? Being a man. Those are all ways that boys are going to try to prove their manhood to themselves in the absence of having a formal rite of passage. And then, you know, another one is today, this wasn't so much of a deal 20 years ago when I was turning 13. But today, what we see is we see a lot of boys outright rejecting their identity as men, right? I think one of the benefits of holding a rite of passage is having fathers tell their sons, I see you as a man, right? If every father did that, then boys wouldn't, one, they wouldn't have to prove their manhood to themselves, and two, they don't feel the need to reject their manhood completely.
3: Mm.
1: Good stuff. By the way, you're listening to Stephen Arms here on Jesus 911. Uh, this young man wrote a book with his father. It's called Milestone to Manhood. Milestone to Manhood. Rite of passage from 13 year old to manhood. Get the book. Get the book. Milestone to manhood.com. Milestone to manhood.com. Uh, this is a book that every single young father needs to get. I know I'm going to get a couple. And I, I already have a couple of people in mind that I know who I'm going to give them to. Uh, we're going to go to a quick station break. Uh, <clears throat> stick around. We're not, uh, we are not. We want to keep talking to Stephen Arms. We've got a couple more questions to ask him about his book, Milestone to Manhood. Again, the website is milestone to manhood.com, milestone to manhood.com. And this book, again, in, in our current culture, we're, people are having a hard time distinguishing between male and female, boy and girl. This is a perfect book to get for, for young men, young fathers uh, to teach your boys how to be boys before the culture tells them they're a bunch of girls. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Jesus 911. We'll be right back with Stephen Arms.
0: to Jesus 911 If this call is not an emergency dial 888-526-2151
1: We're back Jesus 911 we we're, we're here with Stephen Arms he's an author him and his father they wrote a book called Milestone to Manhood you want to get the book you need to get the book it's called the website's called milestonetomanhood.com milestonetomanhood.com it's the rite of passage from a 13-year-old to manhood. I don't think anything like this ever has been written in the Catholic Church. And uh, so I want to I pl- uh, congratulate you, Stephen. Hey, by the way, Stephen, what great state do you hail from?
2: I grew up in the great state of California. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a NorCal guy myself. When I was twenty-five, I met my wife and moved up to Oregon. So I've lived in Oregon for the last six years. But got born and raised right in California, so you're a West Coast guy. Yeah. Yep. 100%. All right,
3: Eddie, you got a uh, question for our friend here? Yeah, Stephen, I was thinking uh, somebody before. I think it might have been just mentioned grandfathers. So um, who attends a rite of passage besides a grandfather? Somebody close to the uh, to the teenager. Who else might attend the uh, the right? Yeah, so
2: I would say first and foremost, dad or father, father or father figure, right? Um, Dads are the most important male role model in a boy's life. That's what when boys look up to what it means to be a man, he's looking at that. But it's also important to get other important male role models involved as well. That could be grandfathers, uncles, older brothers, um, older cousins or close family friends. And the importance of getting other men involved is that it helps to break through to the boy in a way that he might actually listen, right? At the age of 13, there can be this tension developing between father and son, right? The boy wants to get more independence and spread his wings. He doesn't necessarily listen to everything the dad has to say. But getting other men involved, like grandfathers, uncles, close family friends, it helps to break through to the boy in a way that he might actually listen. So it might be some piece of advice that dad has been saying for the last two years, right? You need to make your bed every morning when you wake up. But just hearing it come out of the mouth of a man who's not dad, the boy, it's like a light bulb goes off in his head, right? Like, Oh, that's a great idea. I should do that. You know? So getting other men involved is a crucial component of the weekend.
3: Hey, uh, yeah, I think here's go ahead. go ahead. Eddie. Go ahead, Eddie. No, I am just going to say, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, I had three boys And uh, I think at about age 13, they'll listen to anybody but dad. And I think that's (laughs) important for for, for the book of the rite of passage to get through that and have other people reinforce the things that you're saying. So I I like that idea. That's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a big Catholic question, uh, my friend. Did Jesus have a rite of passage?
2: The short answer is yes. Jesus did have a rite of passage. Obviously, Jesus was a practicing Jew. So a lot of people think, oh, maybe Jesus had a bar mitzvah. Jesus did not have a bar mitzvah, and we know that because the bar mitzvah tradition in the Jewish faith is only about 500 years old. So bar mitzvahs were not around when Jesus was walking the earth. Okay. That being said, Jesus did have a rite of passage. It's the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of the boy Jesus in the temple. Uh, and there's a few reasons why this is Jesus's rite of passage. But for one, the Gospel of Luke tells us that that event occurred when he was 12 years old. That's an important detail mm-hmm. included in the Gospel to indicate what this story is all about. When you, when you read the story, it it mimics the three stages of any rite of passage. So Jesus is separated from his family. He loses the caravan. caravan loses him. There's a challenge. He's speaking with scholars and teachers of the law in the temple, right? Here he is 12 years old talking to grown men in the temple. And then there's the reincorporation back into the family, no longer a boy, but now a man. And if you look at how Jesus talks to our blessed mother, Mary, when Joseph and Mary find him, he doesn't talk to her as a boy talks to his mom, right? He doesn't go crying back into his arms saying, I'm sorry that I did this to you. Instead, he says something along the lines of, what do you mean? Of course I was in my father's house, right? He almost comes off as cold and unapologetic. He talks to his mom as if he's a man and not a boy anymore. So that's why the finding of the boy
3: Jesus was Jesus' rite of passage. Makes complete sense. Any question? Yeah, you mentioned uh, a weekend, uh, Stephen. And uh, I want to know, where does the weekend come into play? Uh, what does a weekend look like? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. So our family rite of
2: passage, it occurs over a weekend, uh, just like Jesus' rite of passage. There's kind of a separation from the family, right? So you bring the boy to a place that he's never been to before. For me, I grew up in the Bay Area in California. So my dad and my grandfather, and my uncles took me to Lake Shasta, which is about three hours north, totally remote. Um, and just give you an opportunity to unplug and get away from your everyday life, right? Um, The weekend itself is made up of seven different rituals that we came up with. Um, And some fathers are hesitant to include rituals in the weekend because it sounds, you know, kind of formulaic or stiff. But the rituals are actually important because it puts meat on the bones for the weekend. You know, as men, sometimes there's this tendency to... Just say the trivial level, you put four guys in a cabin for a weekend at Lake Shasta, there's a tendency to just go fishing the whole time, right? And not talk about the deep stuff, about what it means to be a man, or talk about God, or talk about uh, being a virtuous man. So having rituals really helps to give meaning to the weekend. Um, Without going into the details of all the rituals, I'll just name them, I'll just list them by name. So there's seven of them. The first is an entrance ceremony. Second ritual is a discussion of what it means to be a man. The third ritual is a scripture sharing exercise. Fourth ritual is the giving of a family heirloom to the boy. The fifth ritual is the giving of letters that have been written before the weekend. So letters are given to the boy. The sixth ritual is a character trait ceremony. So every man looks at his positive and negative character traits and how to improve himself. And then the, the seventh ritual, the last one is kind of what the whole weekend has been building up to. It's the formal bestowing of the title of man. And that's the moment where the dad, the grandfather, or all the men look the boy in his eyes and say, in this family, you're no longer considered to be a boy, but you're considered to be a man just like just like we are. And from that moment on, the boy is confident in his identity as a man.
1: Stephen, you kind of answered the next question I was going to ask you: Is how's God incorporated into the rite of passage? It was it was one of the seven. Uh, there's a scripture passage that's uh, that you said that's shared. Uh, so, how, how did the rite of passage impact your life personally? Not you're a young man, you're married. Uh, what
2: did it do for you? So, for me, the first thing. I'll say is that I was always really confident in my masculine identity. And I don't mean to say that I had, you know, a big puffed up chest and huge biceps as a, as a kid. Um, But what, what I mean by that is whenever another adult outside of the family, whether it was a coach or a, a teacher in high school or a Boy Scout troop leader, whenever they would say something like, boys, boys, settle down. The first thought in my mind was, I'm not a boy. I'm a man. I'm a man because my dad and my grandfather told me I was a man. I never questioned my identity as a man since I was 13 years old and had this weekend. Another way that my right of passage weekend had a significant impact on my life is that, you know, one thing that gets said during the weekend is, we are a tribe of men. We love you unconditionally. You can come to us for advice and we we have your best interests at heart, right? We probably we have more wisdom than you. We've probably been through whatever you're going through. Please come to us if you ever have questions. And it really wasn't until I was 20 years old in college, you know, um, kind of falling away from the faith, wasn't going to Mass every Sunday. And I was really questioning whether I believed in God or not. And I was nervous to talk to my parents about it because I didn't want to disappoint them, right? But I also knew that I had questions that I couldn't answer. And I remembered, here I am 20 years old in college, I remembered back to my 13-year-old rite of passage weekend, and how they said, you can come to us and talk about anything. We love you unconditionally. And that gave me the confidence to go back to my dad and go back to my grandfather and, and say, Dad, Grandpa, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Can you share more with me about why you believe in God? And they, they didn't answer all my questions, but they got me back on track, right? And, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know what would have happened otherwise, but there's a good chance that if it wasn't for this Rite of Passage weekend, I might not be a
3: practicing Catholic today. Wow. Eddie? Interesting. Yeah. Steven, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, and this might be an idea or maybe you've already began a second book. But uh, what's the follow-up? What What's the aftercare for some of the uh, the things that occurred during this weekend? Yeah, so, you know, it's one thing to tell your son
2: that he's a man, right? To use your words. That's important, to use your words. But after the weekend, it's important to follow up and have your actions support what you told him during that weekend. Right. So when I turned 13, my dad didn't kick me out of the house, tell me I had to get my, a job in my own apartment, right? I'm still 13 years old. But um it does come with increased responsibilities around the house, more chores, um, but also more privileges right so you can a later curfew, uh, a larger distance that the boy can roam around the neighborhood on his bike. One really um, very physical way that uh, it could be shown treating tr- that I was treated after my ride of passive weekend was, You know, I come from a big Catholic family. So whenever the whole extended family got together for the holidays, there was always a kids table and adults table. Right. And after the rite of passage weekend, you're officially considered to be a man of the family. So after your weekend, you you officially graduated from the kids table at the holidays to the adults table and engaged in adult conversation. So that was one way to make it like really clear you know, your actions support your words. You are, you really are a man in this family now and we treat you like an adult.
1: Good. Hey, my friend, how can people get your book? Put in a plug for your book. We got a few minutes.
2: Yeah, so our website is milestone to manhoodcom You can pick up a copy of the book there or you can go to Amazon, type in milestone to manhood in the search bar and put, the book will pop right up. I'll leave your listeners with one gift. So on our website, there's a plan your own rite of passage section, and it's literally copy and paste. All you have to do is copy the text that we have on our website, paste it into a body of, of an email, and then identify, you know, four or five men who you want to invite along the weekend. And this it explains what a rite of passage is, why you want to hold one for your son, and exactly what the weekend looks like. We don't ask you for your email address. I know that you don't want to be spammed messaged. I don't want to either. It doesn't cost any money. We, On our website, we've literally given guys the words needed to organize one of these weekends.
1: Awesome, my friend. Well, congratulations to you and your father for uh, writing the book, uh, Milestone to Manhood. And you can pick up that book on that website, MilestoneToManhood.com. We've been talking to Stephen Arms Thank you very much, my friend. You've done a great. This, this was a great contribution to the Catholic Church, and to men in general. And uh, you don't have to be a Catholic to use this book, right?
2: No, absolutely not. Um, Catholic, Christian. Uh, I mean, certainly mine was, but that doesn't necessarily mean someone else has. Got it.
1: Excellent. All right, my friend. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for Thanks, coming Steven. on. Yep.
0: Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151.
1: Soul patrol Jesus 911 two man car, we are back. Eddie, that was a uh, that was uh, a young man that's got a good head on his shoulders. His father raised him right. Good for him.
3: Yeah, good uh, good tradition to start in your family Jess.
1: Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And my my mind just popped, and he said, "Oh yeah, our Lord went through a rite of passage. Uh, look what happened when he was twelve years old at the temple, when he yeah. when he put the he put the Pharisees in check."
3: <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah.
1: Good deal. Yeah. So hey, so we're gonna go back, and we're looking at the Liber Christo method field manual for spiritual combat. We're on page sixteen. It's So uh, we're talking about renunciation of evil influences. That's where we're at right now. Renunciation of evil influences. This book was written by Dr. Dan Schneider, but it's, it's the intellectual property of Father Chad Ripperger and Kyle Clement, uh, who have both have been on the same exorcism team for 20 years. <clears throat> it says, Dan writes about going inside the wire. So here's, here's Dan's, uh, Dan's army background coming to play as he writes. Inside the wire. He talks about ordinary... An extraordinary diabolic activity. He says, Knowing your enemy's part of soldiering, Rogers would routinely send out patrols with the purpose of scouting their enemies, their enemies' forts or frontiers for discoveries to learn their size, movements, habits, and activities. To prevent the enemy from doing the same, Rogers told his men, When you camp, half the party stays awake, the other half sleeps. Modern rangers add to that by setting up a defensive perimeter of claymore mines strung together by interconnecting detonating wires. They call this perimeter the wire and the mine itself is stamped with the reminder front towards the enemy. If an enemy breaches the defense, he is inside the wire. Traditionally, diabolic activities distinguish between ordinary and extraordinary. Extraordinary. Temptation, physical or psychological, is part of the ordinary, common to all, way the devil operates. According to Father Amorth, the devil's mission in the world is to do souls, to lead each man and woman on the wayward path of sin, and the principal path of this tragic mission is the path of temptation. Father Francesco Bamonti, who is the current president of the International Association of Exorcists describes temptation as when the enemy attempts to seduce us with sense realities, acting on our senses, sight, touch, hear, smell, and taste. This seduction, he says, also includes our memory, imagination, and intellect. That is, the demonic traffics in the senses, and seeks to manipulate how we appropriate the external world into our higher internal faculties. His goal, according to Father Bamante, is to arouse the consent of our free will to do evil in hopes of stimulating and further reinforce our dependence upon him. That is, the ordinary activity of the evil one is to use the sensory data presented to us to habituate us in sinfulness and thought word and deed comments Eddie something to jump out at you there
3: yeah Jess you know one of the things that, that we have to keep in mind as Catholics is that the devil operates in two forms ordinary and extraordinary that's what this entire section is about yeah. and so it's important to remember that as you know, in order to keep the as good Catholics in order to keep the enemy outside the wire that Dan describes in this book he compares it to military uh, operations uh, is the use of the sacraments. We have to, especially the sacraments uh, of, of reconciliation. So when we can do that, we can be sure that all the devil is going to do is tempt us in an ordinary way, and we're living in a good, uh, moral Catholic life. That's that's essentially what jumps out at me from here.
1: Yeah, you're right. If 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 we're all, as Ruben Nava says, churched up, you know, talking about when you're, you know, when you're. Praying and receiving the prayed sacraments. You could, yeah, prayed up and churched up. Okay. <clears throat> what you do is you keep the de- the enemy, the de- the demons, outside the wire. You're keeping them outside the perimeter. But when you're not churched up, as Reuben says, that's praying in sacraments. When you're not churched up, the demon gets inside the wire because you have no claymore mines. You have no perimeter. So that's the point that Dan is making there.
3: Eddie, you want to pick it up from there? <clears throat> sure. So it says, God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can endure. However, and when you conquer various temptations, you grow in virtue, self-mastery, and mastery over the enemy. Temptation is, as Father Ritberger writes, a school of humility, because it reveals the deficiencies in our own formation and causes us to to distrust ourselves because of our weaknesses. He notes also that by fighting demons and vanquishing them, the demons become weaker, not only in the lives of the individual who fights them, but in the lives of others as well. Thus he states, people have to understand that it is not unfair for God to allow this because he is actually giving them something greater. The demon becomes an instrument of both our sanctification and education. That's important, Jess. We'll talk about yes, that in a minute. Yes. St. Bonaventure gives us four reasons why God allows demons to influence a person. Saint Bonaventure says it's to reveal God's glory, to punish sin, to rebuke a sinner, or to educate a person. Mm. That is, God allows uh that is God allows all demonic activity, whether ordinary or extraordinary, for a greater good. A lot said there. A lot of meat there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I like the four. So, fourth, yeah. so the, 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 let me yeah. let me. I want to
3: make sure that you know we, we understand this entirely. So when people are being tempted in either the extraordinary or extraordinary ways, yeah, then uh, that becomes a tool for sanctification and education. Is that what I'm understanding here?
1: Absolutely. In other words, let, 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 I'll give it to you in a way that people could understand. Okay, Eddie, a boxer gets better when he spars at the gym, but he has to spar with people that are better than him, that can beat him, that way they push him. Or a wrestler, just take any guy that's involved in, in in combat sports, contact sports. They get better by sparring with somebody who's better than them, and it pushes them. This is exactly what God does with demons. God uses them as useful idiots to make us holy. Now, we don't like it, The ordinary temptation, sometimes the extraordinary temptation, God permits this to make us and our families holier. These are sparring sessions. We feel like we're getting beat up and we're getting, you know, tuned up by Mike Tyson and and, uh, and and can- and Canelo, you know, and we're saying, man, Lord, when is this going to stop? God is allowing this to happen because He's trying to make you and your family holy. That's the point that Dan, and yes. Father Ripperger, make, yeah.
3: Yeah, and you know, just I, I by working in this ministry, yeah. it seems to me the way I examine over the years is that it has brought me to a higher place. It's brought me to it's brought me to a position where I can look back at my own life and say. Man, I could do that better. I could do this better. I have to stop doing this. And so, you know, looking at at things, generally speaking, looking at things that, that you're dealing with it, working in this ministry, I think it it it's a, a great blessing to those who work in the ministry if yes. it's done properly to to uh, yeah to learn from it. Yeah.
1: It even makes the team holier. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> so so not 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 only the penitent. But it also makes the team holier, and and I like the way that's, you're that's, right. that. Yeah.
3: No, I'm just gonna say that's an insult. I'm sorry to to, to the demons. I mean, the, you know, he's doing his best to to take possession of somebody, leading yes. us to that path. And yeah. uh, all of a sudden, now you're making the whole team uh, holier, uh, <laughs> a, a, a better team. And uh, it's really just uh, they're failing all the way around when that happens.
1: Yeah. Again, God God is 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 using them. For your sanctification, the penitent, the team, the family, the family, everybody that starts cooperating with what the church says starts becoming holy as a result of this diabolical temptation, whether it's ordinary or extraordinary. So Dan writes, although the demon may probe your may probe your perimeter through various temptations. Therefore, when you resist temptation, you keep the enemy outside the wire. When given the opportunity, however, the demon will slip past the claymore mines, get inside the wire, and exert himself beyond ordinary temptation. Extraordinary diabolic activity, according to Father Ripperger, is that which goes beyond and above, above and beyond what is normal or the ordinary diabolic influence, which all men must endure. Father Beaumonti describes it as the devil's intervention on matter. Father Amorth lists six ways of extraordinary diabolical activity, physical pain, demonic possession, diabolical oppression, diabolical obsession, diabolic infestation, and diabolic subjugation. Notably, Father Bamante emphasizes that the extraordinary diabolic activity is a result of original sin, and can often be due to one's own culpability to include sins of... And here, here's the big ones, Eddie. Here's how a lot of Catholics let these things come in. They let the demons come underneath the wire. Here's the superstition and occult practices, such as participation in or even present at sessions with psychics or fortune tellers. Two,
3: use evangelism. That's, the that's a big one for women. <laughs> women yeah. oh, right, I, is, I mean, I'm not being sexist or anything, but women have this... this uh uh, tendency to be involved in those things. Now, men have different uh, uh, temptations, but this is the one of the women's. Read the second bullet, Eddie. Use of amulets and talisman, recourse to mediums, sorcerers, witches, tarot card readers, or having attempted any of these on your own.
1: That's another one women are really attracted to. Number three, the practice of certain meditation techniques like Transcendental meditation, Reiki, opening oneself to chakras or other new age practices. Next.
3: Submitting oneself to spiritual cleansing. Now, just this happens a lot. A lot of times when <laughs> especially when amongst the go... Latinos. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. And the reason is this, Jess, they don't get the answers that they're searching for. Right. They go to a God forbid, an uncatechized priest or uncatechized uh uh deliverance team member and they don't get the answer and therefore they say you know we've got to do something we just can't let little johnny be be uh 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 uh, you know given to the devil like this we have to get a spiritual cleansing so let's get some sage and burn it in the house (laughs) this makes things worse jess okay so this this uh, hold your thought uh, eddie hold hold,
1: hold the thought (laughs) going to a hard break hard break we'll be right back
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151.
1: Soul patrol Jesus 911 two man car talking about renunciation of evil influences. This is the chapter on Dr. Dan Schneider's book It's called Liber Christo Spiritual Warfare Field Manual. Get the book. You can pick up the book from 10books.com. 10books.com. Uh, it is uh, basically the, the manual that's used by the, the exorcism teams through Liber Cristo on how to walk a person into full liberation in the name of Jesus. Eddie, the <clears throat> you're, you're talking about the fact that uh, we have seen, you've seen, a lot of Latinos are given over to a lot of these spiritual cleansing, voodoo, macumba, and these other rituals. It's very common in the Latino community. And it's because of poor catechesis. That's the reason.
3: Yeah, you can't blame it on anything else, Jess. And, you know, once they don't get the answer, then they become, uh, you know, they have despair and, and you know, or giving up too much uh, ground to the devil. Let's, let's get cleansed spiritually. And it doesn't have to be, you know, burning sage in the hallway. It, there's other ways. You know, you, uh, a woman just told me recently where they, they did an egg healing over her. Yes, I mean we have sacramentals in the church. Why would you want a hard-boiled egg to help you when you could get some holy water and holy salt and put that around the house? You know, Eddie and 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 and
1: a lot of our priests. I mean, they give good homilies and and they're well catechized. And uh, well, the problem is is people don't go to mass. They don't go to mass. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, they, they so you, uh, so they don't know. They don't know, as they say, they don't know what they don't know.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right, Jess. And you know, I we, here's a good point to make too, Jess. It's these types of of extraordinary temptations that that uh, where the devil gets into the wire. So he gets into the inner perimeter, and and Jess, you know, we have to understand that there's a way to to battle this. You know, you have to go to mass, you have to go to confession, yeah. you have to start practicing your religion again, mm. and, uh, and seek out the help that you need, that's what it is.
1: Yeah, it's simple, like we talked last time, a couple of times, you're 400 pounds, there's a way for you to run a marathon, you're going to have to get down to about 200 pounds, but that means you're going to have to get in the gym, get on the treadmill, get on the rowing machine, get on the liptocycle, start dieting you're going to have to fully engage your act of the will so that you can run this marathon. And the marathon we're talking about is getting to heaven.
3: Absolutely, just That's the only only eternal thing that we're concerned with. Yeah. You want
1: to the go next, on, just? To- Yeah, the next bullet says here, membership in secret societies or satanic groups. That also seems to be very prevalent with low-information Catholics. Uh, they get involved uh, in, in satanic groups. Dan writes... He, he explains further that one can be vulnerable to demonic influence, particularly when combined with alienating vices, such as here it is alcohol abuse, drugs, sexual perversion, and blasphemy. Such activities, he says, weaken the individual and open him up to the devil's extraordinary activity. The motives for participation in witchcraft, says Father Morth, are wealth, power, vice, and more.
3: Yes, one of the things I want to mention here so that people don't say, oh, God, that guy, anyways, he talked about women. Here's the men's preference, okay? Men's <laughs> preference is sexual perversion. Men's and, alcohol, always, and alcohol. And alcohol. And the alcohol, yes. Yeah. Uh, so remember that that everybody has their weakness, and, you know, we can separate it generally into sexes, and, and, and those are the ones that we just gave you. Yeah. Pick up the next paragraph, Eddie. Yeah, the next paragraph says, while the enemy probes your wire through temptations, he can use other tactics, tactics such as curses, to gain quicker access. As Father Bomonte notes, the demon can exploit such vulnerabilities, uh, alienating vices, through the actions of someone else who has performed occult rites and curses against him. That is, certain behaviors alienate you from God's friendship and protection which can make you vulnerable to curses and the effects of the occult activity of others. Jess, that's what well, I think we're talking about. Uh, that was huge,
1: Eddie. That one's huge. Yeah. It's uh, now, yeah. again, both of us are Hispanics. So this is our, the world we live in. Hispanics are big on cursing each other. Somebody in the family gets mad at the sister-in-law and they're both non practicing Catholics or lukewarm Catholics. And one sister-in-law, goes to some, you know, shaman and says, give me a powerful curse against my sister-in-law. And the other one goes to another, you know, witch doctor and says, I want, I want a a, a 10 times more powerful curse than the one my sister-in-law is using on me. And this goes back and forth. Guess what? They're living in mortal sin. They're unprotected and both of them get diabolically afflicted at some level.
3: Yes and then it's going to take longer for them to get away from this even if they're working with a, a you know Father Ribburg or some prime minister because God wants you to 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 spend more time on him than you did on those other vices on those other uh, <laughs> uh, so what's going to happen is if you spend 15 years doing curses against a sister-in-law you're going to have a long time to to take to get healed because it's not going to happen that way
1: Exactly exactly yeah. It's like I said, we, we've talked about it before. How easy it is it to get out of shape? Real easy. How really, easy it yes. to get into shape? How how e- how hard is it to get in shape? Very, Very difficult. Hard. It's the yeah. same thing. How easy it is, is it to invite a demon into your life? Very easy. How hard is it to get the demon out of your life? Very hard. Same thing. Same principle. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where that's where the 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 Ruben is uh, saying about stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Perfect. If you keep them outside the wire. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, that's it.
1: Keep them outside the wire. Like Ruben says, stay ready. Yeah. (laughs) All right,
3: Eddie, you want to pick it up? Yeah. He goes, here we present the devil's extraordinary and intensifying activity of inside the wire of a person's interiority along a threefold scale of a. Oppression, obsession, and possession. So we're going to go through some of these uh, 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 terms, uh, definitions, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. These terms these are def- important. Yeah, right. So the first one's oppression. Oppression. Oppression is a form of extraordinary diabolic influence in which a demon attacks one's externals. First stage in the progression towards classic possession and often experienced as a heaviness, a malaise melancholy, or depression. As the influence of the diabolical increase increases during this phase, the individual begins to lose focus, especially on vocational obligations. Jess, one of the things that's very common with people that are coming to the church is they can no longer work. They cannot keep a schedule. Mm. They can't show up to work on time and they lose their job, their vocation. And they
1: also complain about they, they can't even hold relationships. That's another part of it as right. well. The second definition here that you'll hear Eddie and me use all the time on this show on Mondays is obsession. It's spiritual obsession can be seen in marked neurotic and abnormal mental symptoms due to the perversing, uh, excuse me, persevering efforts of an evil spirit to gain mastery over him. The second stage in the progression towards classic possession where one is besieged psychologically, that is intellectually. And emotionally by demons. There will be psychological as well as physical indicators of the diabolic presence. It is during this phase that the demon begins to move in. Increased and persistent activity in the interiority of a person. A psychological obsession is recurrent and persistent thoughts, urges, or images that are experienced as intrusive and unwanted. Yeah, you'll hear people in this stage, or, uh, they'll say, Jess, I, I, I don't know, but I get these thoughts. They just keep coming back and I'm trying to to, to forget about it or think about something else. But these recurring evil thoughts, kill your wife, kill yourself, kill your kids. You're stupid. You're ugly. They keep coming back. Jess, I, I don't know what to do. I can't get rid of them. That's, di- that's classic diabolic obsession.
3: That's true, Jess. They hear voices telling them that all the time. They wake them up at three in the morning to tell them that. Yeah. The next the next uh term we we'll, have here, just We'll I finish with that one, go ahead. Okay, yeah, let's finish with possession. Possession, the phenomenon in which the devil invades uh the living body of a person and moves the faculties and organs as if he were manipulating a body of his own. The three types of possession are as follows: classic, usually a gradual progression to the stages of oppression and obsession. Partial usually through a pact made in exchange for a favor with a demon, such that the demon is present to to that activity, and when the person seeks God, demonic affliction arises, sometimes can be ethnic or cultural related. And then the final uh, 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 mode is transient, where rights are given by someone else, usually familial, such as in Freemasonry or other witchcraft, and the demon becomes present when the rites are challenged, akin to peanut allergy, such that the effects arise situationally. The demon, the demonic claim will, as a rule, spike when the activity associated with the possession or curse is performed.
1: It says, "Uh, I think we have, we'll, we'll get this in. The pronotunda, which is the introduction of the solemn, of the Solemn Rite lists three primary stages indicative of possession. Speaking, understanding languages unknown to the person or other occult knowledge, making known distant or hidden events or knowledge of things beyond one's state in life and display of power, superhuman strength or strength beyond one's one's age or condition to include shape-shifting. Other indications include aversions of the sacred, that that is a vehement aversion to God, the holy name of Jesus, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the saints, bless objects, sacred r- sacred rituals, sacred images, etc. Eddie, we'll leave it. Th- we'll leave it there. We'll pick up next time we meet. Uh, just want to just. Uh, I want to just close off with the Hail Mary. This is heavy stuff that we're sharing right now. So let's just pray. In name of the amen. Father, Son, amen. and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary,
3: Holy Mary, amen. Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Virgin most powerful. Pray for us. Pray for us. St. Joseph terror of demons. Pray for us. St. Augustine.
1: Pray for us. Venerable Fulton Sheen. Pray for us. All you holy angels and saints of God. Pray for us now and at the hour of death. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good Mm -hmm. stuff, Eddie. We'll, We'll hit it again next week. This is the Lord's Gym here every single Monday. Full contact Catholicism every Monday, spiritual warfare style. Uh, uh, up next, we got Gary Machuda coming to you from the Midwest Command Center, hands-on apologetics. As for myself, my partner, Nettie, two retired Los Angeles cops, uh, we are EOW, end of watch, Ten seven. How did the CHP, did you guys say 10-7? 10 man. Or out. Wow. All right. We'll see you next time, brothers. God bless you. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. Every single Monday, going through Liberal Crystal training. See you next time. God bless.